0: How's everybody doing today? Woo, all right, that's awesome. Merry Christmas, so glad to see you uh, on Christmas Eve. Um, Many of you know that I've been sick for the last couple of weeks, or I don't know, it feels like I've been sick forever, I don't think I really have, but um, I just wanted to make sure I put that out there for our first-time guest. I did not smoke a carton of Marlboro Lights right before I came up this morning. Um, Just uh, sounds like I did. Uh, And in the last gathering, we did three gatherings this morning, after the uh, 8 o'clock, Nelson McClure came up to me and said, Hey, here's a cough drop, and uh, it'll numb your throat, and you will feel better. And, and he was right. Uh, it also numbed my tongue, and in the second gathering, my tongue felt like it was about this big, uh, which was interesting because there were words that I just apparently couldn't say. Uh, so big thank you to uh, Nelson for that this morning. But uh, I'm so glad you're here. Christmas is my very favorite time of year Uh, I love everything about it, and I love that Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. Uh, It doesn't happen very often. In fact, I think it's going to be like 2028 or something like that before Christmas is on a Sunday again, Uh, which means for many of you who have kids, like your kids will probably be grown and driving or doing something by the next time that Christmas actually happens on a Sunday. So thank you for being here this morning and, and bringing your families from my family to your family uh, Merry Christmas! This makes this makes my Christmas. I love seeing all of you. I Love being with our LifePoint family uh, on Christmas. And what I want to do this morning is um, I want to kind of tie a bow to use a Christmas uh, analogy. I want to tie a bow on this series that we started a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we 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 typically talk in series around here instead of sermons. And so um, this year for Christmas. I just want us to take three weeks and look at the most famous verse probably in the whole Bible. Uh, And it's a verse that says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And today, what I want to do is I want to tie a bow on this sermon series and hopefully give you something that allows you to see Christmas maybe just a little bit differently, Um, and maybe give you something that can be helpful um, for the next steps in your life, all right? So let me pray for you, and then we'll jump into the message. Father, thank you again so much just for for being the uh, wonderful counselor, the everlasting Father, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Uh, Thank you for being Emmanuel, who comes near to us, that when we were not good enough to get to you, uh, you came to us, and you rescued us, you brought us redemption, uh, thank you for being the, um, the the God who, though we see Him in a manger this time of year, uh, and we consider that, that we know that you grew up, you gave your life on the cross, and you rose victoriously over death, hell and grave, to give us hope, and to um, remind us that you loved us enough to come and get us. And so this morning, uh, we ask that your holy Spirit would would be present in the room with us, that you would teach us, that we would listen, and that you would say something through your word this morning that would inspire us to live lives in a way that would honor you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. I want to ask you a question, and I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to this question. Uh, but I want to ask it anyway, And because um, and I, I want you to really think about this. Let me ask this, and I, uh, maybe a show of hands. How many of you have ever, at some point in your life, lost your way? Anybody in the room ever lost their way? Okay. Um, And and I know that can, depending on the age of the people in the room, uh, that can happen in a lot of different ways. I mean, some of you, uh, some of you remember at some point in your life, you got lost driving. Do I have any of those that got lost driving? All right, and and what happened there is everybody who raised their hand, it shows a different age demographic because nobody gets lost driving anymore, or if you do, you shouldn't because there's this handy device that stays in your pocket that will keep you from getting lost, all right? All right. Um, for the most part, I mean, there there are times maybe it doesn't, but for the most part, it doesn't. Getting you know, getting lost driving can be uh, so frustrating. By the way, you're in a car, uh, you take a wrong turn, maybe you're in a city you've never been in before, an area you've never been to before, and it's like there's a little bit of terror that comes in, right? And um, and, and you typically you do something, especially if you're a man, you do something. If you do lose your way in a car, especially. Uh, and you'll find this is true in other areas, is you gain this confidence that you shouldn't have. Have you ever noticed that when you lost your way? Think about this. You may have never thought about this before, but you gain confidence that you shouldn't have because the reaction is, all right, I know what to do now that I'm lost. I'm going to go faster with more confidence, right? You just press that long pedal a little bit harder, and, and you just write into, typically, more losses. Like, it doesn't really help you. You just get more lost, right? But you get there faster. You get to the, you know, you get to more lost more quickly, right? This is what we do. Uh, you may have lost your way in a car, perhaps. Anybody ever been lost hiking? That can be terrifying if you've ever done that. Uh, personally, let me tell you where I got lost. The most, the scariest, I've, the scariest thing I've ever experienced, probably. Uh, the most lost I've ever been. I was about 14 years old and uh i had some i had some family members who had some property in a place called J, georgia maybe some of you are familiar with that it's in north it's in the north georgia mountains and uh, i had gone there for a weekend to go hunting and uh, i had scouted out an area to hunt my granddad was with me and i left that morning to go hunt and as i was leaving this is what my granddad said he said i know where you're going to hunt maybe instead of coming back the way you go in you could go down the creek a little bit turn left And you could kind of scout another area on your way out, which I thought was a great idea, all right? I thought that would be, and so I had planned to do that. Now, I had met some people while I was there. I don't know their names. Uh, and, and I don't mean this to be offensive at all, but I don't know if you've ever been to, North, to the North Georgia mountains, but there is a different breed of redneck in the North Georgia mountains. And, and I'm not being offensive toward rednecks. I, am, I, I, I kind of identify as a redneck occasionally. Um, and, um, but they're different redneck, all right? They're different. They are, I mean, this just different. If you've never been there, it's different. Uh, and, and, but I remember I was telling this, this guy that I was going hunting, and he said this. He was like, boy, you better be careful. And I was like, well, I assume that's like good advice for any hunting trip, right? I mean, boy, you ought to be careful. And then he followed up with this. I don't know if you know this, boy, but there's, there's wild hogs in these woods. I'm like, okay. Is that a concern? And, he, and this is his answer to that. Is this a concern? This is his answer? He said, I'm just saying, hog gets after you. They won't find nothing but the sole of your boots. I still don't know what that means. I don't know. I'm like, what, they don't like rubber? I don't know. I mean, I don't know why they stopped there. I mean, you like camouflage pants? You don't like rubber shoes? I don't know. I have no idea. I just kind of put that in the back of my, it's one of the things you file, like right in here. Remember that? Wild hogs? Solely your shoes. It's all that'll be left. They get after you. they tear you up. I reckon, I don't know. And so I didn't think anything of it. That morning I go hunting. I get ready to pack up, go back to the house, Remember what my granddad said, just kind of go down the creek, hang a left, you can just come back this way. Be a shortcut back to the house. I love shortcuts. Might as well get back, you know. So I'm heading back. And, um, and then I keep heading back and keep heading back. And I'm like, this is the longest shortcut I have ever experienced in my life. And about three hours later, I realized I don't think this is a shortcut. And, uh, and I learned something that day. I don't know if I put words to it that day, but I learned something that day that you need to know, and I feel like it's my obligation to tell you, and this is something about being lost. If you've ever lost your way, here's the truth. Almost everybody in the room raised their hands and said, I've lost my way. Let me tell you what was true about that. Let me tell you something that's true about it. You were lost way before you realized you were lost. You know what I mean? Like I want you to think back to the time you lost your way. The moment that you came to the realization and admitted to yourself, I am lost, you were not lost it's not an I am lost it is a you were lost you were lost way before you realized that you were lost about three hours in I realized I was lost but I had been lost for about two hours and 45 minutes and at that three hour mark when I realized I was lost I also had this other realization is that for three hours I had made an assumption That the next ridge was the right ridge to get home. I would get to an area and I go, you know what? I bet home is just over that hill. I bet the truck is just over that hill. I bet the place I'm trying to get to is just over there. So, you know what you do? You do what you do in a car. When you begin to realize you're lost or you don't want to exactly admit you're lost, you escalate. You just get more confident and more quick. All right, you just get quicker and more confident, and so I would just hustle down that particular ravine up the next ridge because home was right over the hill, and I'd get there and go, well, okay, maybe it's not, but I bet it's the next one, and you go to the next one, then it's the the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and your confidence grows, and your speed grows, and your darkness and your lostness gets deeper. I remember I finally came out on a road. After three hours of thinking this thought over and over and over, this is the thought I had for three hours, boy, that hog gets after you, they won't leave nothing but the soleo boots. I started understanding what that meant a little more. Uh, was that a grunt I just heard? You know what I mean? And finally, after about three hours, I found, and by the way, this is all pre-cell phone. Some of you in the room, I didn't even think about that in the other two gatherings. Some of you uh, people in the room, some, especially our teenagers are like, why can't you just call somebody? Because we didn't have these things called cell phones then. And uh, about three hours in, three and a half hours in, I found a driveway. And this is my thought when I found the driveway. Well, look at there. I have found my aunt and uncle's driveway, which was stupid. Because I should have found that four hours before then and should have known this is probably not their driveway. I began to walk. I recognize a house I've never seen before. And this is the thought that went through Matt's mind. You're in the north, Mount, north Georgia mountains with a different breed of redneck walking up into their property with a gun. This will go fine. Shouldn't be a problem at all. It's the only time in my life I have ever walked up to somebody's door holding a gun over my head like this, right? And I knock on the door. It was a great day. I end up finding my way back. I had forgotten that my aunt and uncle did no life there. They worked in a different place, which meant their neighbors didn't know them either. And I was just a random guy with a gun telling them about a name somebody I needed to get to, they'd never heard of. It was wonderful. I survived, I made it, uh, learned some lessons. And here's what you can learn too. It is one thing to be lost in the woods, and it can be terrifying. You get lost hiking is terrifying. You get lost in your car. There's nothing fun about that. But it is another thing entirely different. When you begin to realize and consider that you've made, that you have lost your way in life, that you have gotten to a place in your life where you are not where you thought you would be, and you're not where you wanna be, and maybe you're not even where you should be. When you begin to realize that, financially speaking, you've lost your way. As I look across the auditorium, and I, I know very little of any of your financial situations, but I'll bet you in a crowd this size, there's a lot of people in the room that you come to the realization that there's a lot more month than there is money. And it's almost like if you could just find that next ridge, if you could just get over the next hill, around the next curve, take a left at the next stop sign that maybe things would work out. And you keep going deeper and deeper and faster and faster. And honestly, the, the bills just seem to pile up. And you find yourself in a place where you go, I have just lost my way financially. And it feels horrible and terrifying and fearful. Some of you in the room, if I had to guess, you've lost your way relationally and you may not even know it. See, that's the thing with being lost. You are lost way before you realize you're lost. And there's some of you in the room that when it comes to your marriage, I bet you you're in a place where you've lost your way. And you may not think that you have because there's not a whole lot of indicators, but Maybe there's been some conversations that go kind of like this. We need to talk. Things are not exactly what I want and what I expected. This is not what I signed up for. And your tendency is going to be to escalate. Just go, just move faster, move quickly, try to fix something. You you may find yourself with this thought. I can change and you can change and we can all change, right? And yet a year from now, you're just going to be deeper into the lostness, further into the abyss, in a darker place than you are today, because our tendency is just to escalate, just to move faster with more confidence, even though we are lost, because chances are if you're lost, you don't even know you're lost, and you're just moving deeper into the lostness. you, You may have lost your way with some hurt habit or hang up. As a church that's very involved in addiction, let me tell you the story of addiction is a story of just being lost and then escalating while you're lost. It's losing your way and escalating, and you may not even think you've got an issue. That's the craziest thing right now about addiction. You're here this 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 morning and you're listening. You may be like Matt. That's the one thing I don't have to worry about. I don't have a problem, and yet everybody in your life knows you have a problem. And the reason you don't think you have a problem is because you're convinced that just over the next ridge, you could stop if you wanted to. That just around the next turn, you could fix it. It's not a big deal. In fact, you're like, you know what I could do? I could just turn around and walk back out the way I came. I could have done that, by the way, when I was hiking. My dad taught me when I was in the woods just to break limbs as I go somewhere. About every 30 to 50 yards, break limbs. You know what I did that day? I broke a lot of limbs but I wasn't willing to turn around and go back the way that I came because I was certain there was an easier way out. And some of you are so deep into addiction right now that you've convinced yourself that you could just get yourself back out and yet everybody around you who loves you and who cares about you knows you have lost your way and they recognize the hurt and the habits and the hangups that you have. And maybe maybe you're beginning to get a sense that you've lost your way. I don't know what other situation you may have, but I'll bet you there's a good possibility that many of you in the room have found yourself in a place where you're just lost. You lost your way. And you're not where you thought you would be, you're not where you want to be, and you're not where you expected to be. And life isn't exactly what you thought it should be. And if you found yourself there, you find yourself in a place very similar to the nation of Israel 2,000 years ago. You see, if we go way back in time, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, we see where the Bible begins by saying, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, there was God, and he created the heavens and the earth, and he spoke everything into existence. But when it came to me and you, when it came to humanity, he did something different. He stooped down, he took the dirt, the, the dust of the ground, and he formed it into man. He breathed life into it. He took a rib from his side and formed that into woman. He gave the woman to man as a gift, as a to, to show his compassion, his love for them. And, and he created the family. And he put them, put Adam and Eve into a garden. And he gave them responsibility and he gave them opportunity. And he gave them a very clear path. He said, you can, you, you subdue the earth, take responsibility for it, rule over it. The only rule there is, is there's a tree in the middle of the garden. You can eat of any other tree, but you can't eat of that one tree in the day you do it you will surely die. And everything went well until the serpent crept into the garden and convinced Adam and Eve that they wouldn't die, that they would actually be wiser for having eaten it. And they took the fruit, they ate of it, and in their rebellion, they sent humanity on a trajectory into the darkness. At that moment, they plunged humanity into a lostness, That they couldn't even imagine. In fact, they immediately became aware of their nakedness and their shame. And so they escalated, just like we do today. They escalated. They're like, we got to do something. We got to do something. We have messed up. And now we're recognized we don't have any clothes on. We got to do something. And so they made fig leaves, sewed them together, and they hid from God until they heard him walking and talking in the cool of the day. They escalated. They tried to hide. They ran from God as though they could. God finds them, makes animals clothes, makes clothes out of animal skins for them, gives it to them to cover their shame, banishes them from the garden, and they begin a life heading in a direction into the lostness. We fast forward through the time of Israel's history to a guy named Abraham. God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want to do something special. I want to create a nation from you. And th- th- this, this nation will be unique. See, I'll be your God and you will be my people. Just obey me and leave and go to a place where I'm going to show you. And he does. And as Abraham leaves, God fulfills that promise. And a nation begins to emerge. It begins as a people, becomes the children of Israel, and then later becomes the nation of Israel. And God has interaction with them. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. And yet, over and over and over, Israel loses his way. They find themselves, because of their rebellion before God, they find themselves subjected to the Syrians and the Babylonians and the Romans and the Egyptians. And over and over again, they lose their way. And God would send a message, often through the prophets. And he would try to correct them and say, I'm your God and you're my people. And he would try to correct their way, but in their escalation, they would just get darker and deeper and deeper into their lostness. Through the prophets, God would often remind the nation of Israel, he would say, I am going to send one that is going to rescue Israel. And this is where it gets crazy. And then God stops talking altogether for 400 years. For 400 years, there's no prophets. There's no message. There's no reminder. And the nation of Israel, for like 20 generations, just wanders deeper into the lostness and deeper into the abyss and deeper into the darkness. And Israel finds themselves feeling exactly like you feel today, lost. And God is silent. In their lostness, he doesn't say anything. He's just silent. But then he breaks his silence with a word. Not just any word. Not just any ordinary word. He breaks the silence with the word. You see, the beloved disciple John, when he is writing about God's breaking his silence, in John chapter 1, he says it this way. He says that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and we now know that that word is, is the person of Jesus. He says the word, Jesus was with God, he was God. He said, and nothing that was made was made without him, and everything that was made was made through him. And then John says in verse 14 of chapter 1, he says, And the word became flesh, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. You see, when God broke his silence, he didn't just break it with any word, he didn't just say anything, he sent the word. And on a hillside in Bethlehem, the angels cracked open the sky 2,000 years ago. To a group of shepherds, they gave this message. They said, fear not, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And I can't imagine, I began trying to think this weekend just what those shepherds had to think. I mean, can you imagine you're watching sheep, you're a dirty old shepherd? I mean, we're talking about the lower echelon of Israeli society, okay? We're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about the people who are the people. We're talking about those kind of people. They're out watching their sheep, and all of a sudden, the sky fills with a chorus of angels who then say, Fear not. You know why they said fear not? Because they were terrified. Wouldn't you be? You're out just tending sheep. All of a sudden, boo! bunch of angels. Fear not, for we bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, right? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And these angels, these these shepherds had to be like, wait a minute. You mean God's broke his silence for 400 years? We haven't seen anything. We haven't heard anything. We don't know what's going on. We're told he's supposed to be coming, supposed to be sending a Messiah, and you're telling me he's coming, he has come now? What a day we live in. We get to be the ones to see the Messiah. And then the angels finish the story, and they go, hey, and you'll want to go and see him. And they're like, yeah, we want to go see him. We've been wandering around in darkness. We've been in our lostness, and now God has broken his silence. Yeah, where do we go and find this Messiah, this king, this warrior? And the angels go, well, this will be the sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. At that point, the shepherds had to go, what? Hang on, what? We're, we're, we're experiencing the tyranny of Rome here. We don't need a baby. We need a battle. Like, let's go to war. Let's kick the Romans out of Israel. What, what do you mean? The sign will be a baby. I don't want a baby. I'm looking for a warrior. He goes, no, no, no. No, no. God's broken his silence. And he's here to lead you out of your lostness. And this will be the sign. This is a a baby. And if they were ever okay with that, it had to be, all right, so what, what palace are we going to to see the baby? I mean, if the king has been born, where's the palace? And they go, oh, yeah, well, I mean, it's in Bethlehem. There's this barn out behind a hotel. And uh, in it, there's two peasants. There's this virgin girl and her boyfriend, who's been pregnant for nine months. You know the one we're talking about, the one that everybody's been looking at, like, mm-hmm, oh, we know what you've been doing. They're out back, and they've had a baby, and they laid it in the feed trough. That's what you're looking for. And the shepherds had to be like, you got to be kidding me. We're looking for a battle, and we're looking for a warrior, and we're looking for God, and you're sending us to a barn with a baby in a food trough, with hay wrapped in swaddling clothes. You see, when you find yourself lost, the way out might come in the most surprising way ever. You see, if we were writing the story, we'd write the story as a victor coming with sword in hand, to stomp out the Romans and make everything right. But God always writes a better story. And the story he wrote came in the form of two peasants who were pregnant with the Son of God, who endured the stares of a critical generation, whose baby was born in a barn and laid in a manger and welcomed here by shepherds. And I love what the shepherds said. When the angels left, the shepherds looked at one another and said, come, let us go and see this thing that the Lord has done. See, they were more lost than they could ever imagine, but they knew where their salvation was coming from, and they leave, and they go, and they find the baby, and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, he's lying in a manger, and he's there with his mom and his dad, and they found him just the way the angels said, and 30 years later, 30 years later, the same Jesus would be approached by a man named Nicodemus with a similar question that you and I have today about lostness. Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, who was a teacher of the law, he would have had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. And some of you are like, I didn't even know how to say that D word. I saw it in my Bible, didn't even know what it was. The good news is nobody does, except those guys they had all five of those books memorized. And Nicodemus, who is a leader of the Pharisees, comes to Jesus at night. And he asks the question that we need to know the answer to. And he says, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? What have I got to do to get out of my lostness? I've escalated. I've learned all of these books. I've memorized them. I know all the lessons. But something's still not right. I've done everything I know to do, Jesus. What do I need to do? And Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus goes, I must what? i got to enter back into my mother's womb and be born again? How in the world does a grown man do that? Which is an interesting question. How in the world does a baby do that, right? What are you talking about, Nicodemus? How does anybody do that? And Jesus, in his kindness and compassion, and full of tact, says to Nicodemus... You mean to tell me you're a teacher and you're so dumb? You're know, like, Jesus said that? Pretty much. Pretty much. It's like you're supposed to be the guy teaching all of Israel. And you're too dumb to understand the things of God. You know why? Because we are lost before we know we're lost. And Jesus helping Nicodemus recognize you're worse than you even thought you were. And so Jesus says, let me clear it up for you. And he says a sentence. It's become the most popular sentence probably ever memorized. I don't know that for sure, but I bet you it's the most memorized statement that the world has ever heard. And Jesus says, let me clear it up for you. He said, God loved the world so much. That he demonstrated his love in this way. That he gave his only begotten son. So that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. In one sentence, Jesus sums up the entire culmination of the gospel and everything that would become his manifesto. It would be the basis by which he would teach, the basis by which he would live, the miracles he would perform, the people he would rise from the dead, the lame he would help to walk the blind he would cause to see, would all be wrapped up in this one statement that would say, God wants to do what it takes to demonstrate to you that he loves you more than you can ever imagine. You see, when we look at the Greek language of how Jesus said that, it's not just that he says, I love you so much. It says this, it says that God loved us so much that he demonstrated his love in this way. You see, love needs to be demonstrated. It was not enough for God to tell us he loved us. He decided to show us that he loved us. And he loved us in this way, demonstrated in this way, that he gave his only. Not one of many, he gave it all. He gave to us his only son. And if we believe, We receive eternal life. It says that whosoever, you see, you say, Matt, how do I find my way out of the darkness? Well, it begins by recognizing that you're there and that you're lost. And if you can recognize that, then you become a whosoever. The the craziest thing that Nicodemus heard that day that's not so odd to me and you is when God told him, when God in the flesh told him that God loved the world so much. Nicodemus knew that he loved Israel. But to hear that he loved everybody rocked Nicodemus's world. And then to say, when God said, and I'm making this available to whosoever. You see, all it qualifies, all that it requires to be a whosoever in the room this morning is to recognize that you are lost and you are out of options. When you begin to recognize that you can't fix this yourself, you just keep escalating and you keep going deeper. At that moment, that you can come to that realization, stop and understand you're a whosoever and you qualify for what Jesus is offering. He says, Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, Well, what does it mean to believe, Matt? You know, I believe in George Washington. I think he was our first president. I believe that because somebody in history told me that. Somebody in a history class told me that. I never met him, he's never done anything for me personally. It's not the kind of belief that Jesus is talking about. When Jesus talks about believing in him, he's talking about a belief that results in a transfer of trust. You see, when you lose your way, you got two options. You can keep keep trying to go over the next hill, around the next curve, around the next bend, look for the next sign, hope to find your way out, or you can stop and recognize you can't do it on your own. And you need help from somebody else. And you can recognize that when you find yourself lost in the darkness, God sent the light of the world to lead you out of the darkness. And the light of the world just says, I just need you to believe in me. Not believe like you believe in George Washington. I need you to transfer your trust from trusting in yourself and your ability and your capability. Stop escalating. Lose this unfound confidence that you have in yourself and understand that all you've ever done is make it worse and just stop and say, I'm a whosoever. And I'm gonna transfer my trust from believing in me to believing in Jesus. And when you do that, he says, you receive eternal life. Now, this is an interesting thing. When Jesus says that, it is, it is the most remarkable statement that had ever been said. Because if you look back in the pages of Scripture prior to that, and you survey the entire Old Testament, there are some glimpses and some ideas that there is life after death, but there is no certainty and there's no clarity in the Old Testament. There's a hope, there's a we think, there's a maybe. Maybe. And there are some statements in the Old Testament that indicate maybe there's something that happens after that. But for the first time ever, Jesus declares, I'm not just taking care of you now, I'm taking care of you forever. And Jesus declares eternal life. And from that moment forward, the entire New Testament transitions to being in a conversation entirely about this concept that the best is yet to come. Jesus says, I loved you so much. God loved you so much. Not that he was going to fix your marriage. God loved you so much he demonstrated it this way. That he would fix your finances. No. Nope. He would rescue you from your addiction. No. He would correct your marriage and make you the greatest husband or the greatest wife ever. No. No, he loved you so much that he gave his son so that you could experience eternal life. And the understanding of that is, is that if God can fix my eternal life, then God can fix my temporary life if he has the capability to make things right forever then he has the capability to make things right now, there's no assurance and guarantee that he will, but if I know he makes everything right in the life to come then I know that anything I deal with in this life has met his permission Jesus tells his listeners one day that he is the good shepherd and that he is the door, you may not know this but when a shepherd would lead his sheep into a fold they would be this little narrow door and he would lead the sheep in there and then he would lay down in the door and the reason he would do that is if you wanted to get to the sheep you had to go through the shepherd when Jesus recognizes and understands our lostness and he comes to our rescue he becomes the good shepherd in the door of our life and he lays down at the door of our life And the only thing that gets to us goes through him first. Which means this, whatever you're dealing with, wherever you feel like you have lost your way, the promise from God is, to get to you it came through me. And that means it's ultimately going to be for your good and for my glory. And he promises in Romans chapter 8 that all things work together for the good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. If you found yourself in a place where you're lost. I want you to stop. I want you to find the light of the world. That we celebrate his birth. That in God's silence, he broke his silence with the word. The word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And I want you to behold his glory. The glory of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. And recognize that if I had a bottom line this morning, it would be this. That God loved so God gave, and we believe, and we receive. God loved, so God gave, and when we believe, we receive. You say, how do I receive the gift of eternal life, man? Simple, simple. It's not easy, but simple. It's coming to the place in your life where you're ready to transfer your trust from trusting yourself to trusting Him. It's a declaration. And Some of you that grew up in church, you're going to have a hard time believing this. But you don't even have to bow your eyes, bow your head and close your eyes to get it. I know that's what you've heard your whole life. It turns out it's not true. It's a declaration of faith. It's where with your heart, your mind, and your soul, you just say, God, I'm not doing this on my own anymore because I can't do it anyway. I'm going to trust in you in the finished work on the cross. And we place our trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross. He saves us and he secures our eternity. And some of you are like, man, I did that years ago. I've done that a decade ago or six decades ago. What what about me? Well, the same gospel that you believe for salvation is the same gospel that you need to believe today. You see, if you found yourself again wandering in the dark and walking into a place where you feel like you've lost your way, you have done it unnecessarily. And the same thing you need to do, the same thing you did then is what you need to do now. Stop and believe. That God is who he says he is. He does what he's promised. Stop and believe. If he can handle your eternity, he can handle your today. He can walk you out of your addiction. He can begin to help you out of the darkness that you are feeling right now. God loved, so God gave. We believe and we receive. Merry Christmas, Loft Point. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you write a better story. Thank you that you came in the most unimaginable way. You were born in the most unimaginable place, to the most unimaginable people. But in that story, you reveal to us just how accessible you are, that you have come to the whosoever's. To any of us who are willing to recognize that we have lost our way, you have come to us and you have brought us rescue and redemption. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never received Christ as your Savior and you've heard this story for the first time and you've understood it and you would love to make a declaration of faith this morning. I want to invite you right where you're sitting, with your heart and your soul and your mind, just to say to the Lord, I believe. I believe what you did on the cross was enough I believe you paid the price for my salvation and I transfer my trust from myself to you. You say, what do I do next, man? Is that it? That's all there is, that's all there is. The only thing I would love for you to do, this could be your Christmas gift to me. If you just made a declaration of faith, in your heart, in your soul, your mind, you just made that declaration, I'd love to know about it. I'd love to help you with the next step. There are cards all over this auditorium on virtually every other seat. I'd love for you to take one of those cards Put your name on it and a phone number. Check the box that says, today I received Christ as my Savior. Either bring it to me at the first-time guest area or just stick it in an offering bucket on your way out. And I'll get somebody on our staff to give you a call. And they'll talk to you about the next steps that you need to take in your faith. And this afternoon, somebody will send me an email with a picture of all the cards from today. And, And this is what I'll do. This is the best I can do for you is I'll pray for you. I'll pray about the decision you made today. I'll thank God that he revealed himself to you in a way that drew you into faith. If you're here and you've received Christ already, I want to invite you to worship with us and declare that he is the way, he is the light of the world, and he is the one who has come, that we may have life and life to the full. Father, be honored, be worshiped this morning as we celebrate your birth and your death and your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand to your feet and worship with us.